you have a Bible, friends, uh, please turn to Acts chapter 8 with me. We're going to hopefully cover a bit of ground today as we make our best attempts to get as far as we can. We are studying a book uh, in the New Testament, the book of Acts. It's an amazing book written by a doctor, a medical doctor named Luke. And you may recall, if you've been tracking with us last weekend, uh, we, we started at the beginning of, of Acts chapter 8. And um, what we covered was interesting to me. It was interesting because for the first time in chapter 8, the gospel goes, goes outside of the borders of Jerusalem. For the first eight chapters or so, there's only been one church, and it's a big, huge church, and it's growing like crazy, but the gospel hasn't yet been preached or exported beyond the physical boundaries of just one city. And so we learned last week that the gospel is being finally, if you will, like it's going now, it's going outside, and it's being taken, the message, uh, with, uh, with persecution, right? So the persecution of the Christians caused them to scatter, and the Christians are kind of running for their lives. And then as they run away, wherever they land, they begin to share with their neighbors and friends and their new, uh, the new people in their places about Jesus. And so the gospel is going forward. And it's really cool to see how God will use something that's so terrible and, and just so difficult, this persecution. He'll somehow turn that into a positive with his sovereign hand. And in this case, the positive is more people are coming to know Christ than ever before. So what we have is the, we have the first Christian missionaries now. Uh, the word missionary is not in our Bible, but it's definitely there by definition uh, because the missionaries are people that take the gospel outside of their circle into new territory. And that's what's going on. And among the first missionaries was a guy named Philip, who was, we said it was an average Christian, right? He's not an apostle. He's not kind of this super Christian. He's a guy who's serving in the church, specifically in the food ministry, food distribution to widows. He's just serving. And then he's like, now he's running for his life. And he lands in this city called Samaria. And he's bringing the gospel. Revival hits Samaria, this town, the Samaritan revival. Uh, he's, he's Jewish. He's not supposed to be in this town because Jewish people and Samaritan people did not like each other. They did not hang out with each other. They did not live in the same location at all. They stayed very separate. And yet here's this Jewish dude and God's doing some good things in his life, through his life, and all these Samaritans are coming to Christ. All right, let's, that's, that, that's kind of pretty much a good summary, I hope. It's at least a summary of where we are. Let's look now and see what happens next in verse nine. There was a man... But there was a man named Simon who had previously practiced magic in the city and amazed the people of Samaria, saying that he himself was somebody great. Okay, he, he titled himself great. Nice. They all paid attention to him from the least to the greatest, saying, this man is the power of God that is called great. And they paid attention to Simon because for a long time he had amazed them with his magic. But when they believed Philip, as he preached the good news about the kingdom of God in the name of Jesus Christ, they were baptized, both men and women. Even Simon himself believed. And after being baptized, he continued with Philip and seeing signs and great miracles performed, he was amazed. Now, when the apostles at Jerusalem had heard that Samaria had received the word of God, they sent to them Peter and John, who came down and prayed for them that they might receive the Holy Spirit, for he had... He had not yet fallen on any of them, but they had only been baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. Then the apostles laid their hands on them and they received the Holy Spirit. Now when Simon, 
saw that the spirit was given through the laying on of the apostles' hands, he offered them money, saying, give me this power also so that anyone on whom I lay my hands on may receive the Holy Spirit. And Peter said to him, may your silver perish with you because you thought you could obtain the gift of God with money. You have neither part nor lot in this matter for your heart is not right before God. Repent therefore, Simon, of this wickedness of yours and pray to the Lord that if possible, the intent of your heart may be forgiven you. For I see that you are in the gall of bitterness and in the bond of iniquity. And Simon answered, pray for me to the Lord that nothing of what you said may come upon me. And when they, don't you love how Peter just really super sweet to just how he's so nice. Just, (laughs) okay. Now when they had testified and spoken the word of the Lord, they returned to Jerusalem, preaching the gospel to many villages of the Samaritans. All right, let's pause there and just talk, talk this through a little bit. Let's study this out. If you have your message notes, you can pull those out as well, guys. Uh, there's a lot happening here, so we just kind of work through it piece by piece. Again, there's this revival happening in Samaria, and in the middle of this, one of the most powerful and well-known Samaritans is there. His name is Simon, uh, Simon the Magician, or we call him Simon Magus, and he, he had given himself the title, Simon the Great. That's how he introduced, oh, what's your name? I'm Simon the Great. Uh, nice. So he practiced magic, all right? So this isn't like David Copperfield magic. Uh, you know, all the young people are like, who's that? Who's David Copperfield? And you're looking him up right now on your smartphone. So David Copperfield was, was a magician back in the day, and he would have these TV specials, and he would do like this thing where he's like, oh, look, there's nothing behind me, and then the camera would pan out, and then he would like pull this curtain, and then there's the Statue of Liberty, and everybody's like, wow, how'd that get to Vegas? You know, and it's like, okay, we believed it, all right? We believed it back then. Uh, he was amazing. His tan was amazing. Really, that was the magic. <laughs> Yeah. So it's not entirely like, Dave, like David Copperfield magic, uh, although some of it would have been sleight of hand stuff, trickeration, but he also would blend this with a little bit of some science and knowledge, like real science stuff to impress people, and then part occult uh, charms and amulets, and then even, we think maybe even some demonic power as well, this guy, Simon. So he was powerful, he was affluent, he was accustomed to being kind of the center of attention. When he walked into a village in Samaria or in the town there, everybody like paid attention to him. He was Simon the Great. But then now, here we have this Jewish guy, Philip, is coming into town. He didn't belong there, and he's completely blowing everyone away with genuine healing. The Lord is doing genuine miracles through his life. People are getting healed and set free from demonic oppression, and it's very visible, and this causes the whole town, everybody's paying attention, including Simon. And what got Simon's attention was, I think, two things. One was the fact that this was genuine. There was no scam. There was no trick. There was none of this like stuff that maybe Simon had done a little bit of. And then secondly, Simon, I think, was really tweaked by Philip's ministry because Philip when, he was, when God was working through him to perform miracles, Philip just 
kept pushing everybody to Jesus. He kept pointing back to Christ. He never talked about himself. He wasn't pointing to himself. And that's what really tweaked Simon because Simon didn't do that. When he did a miracle, when he was you know, working his powerful stuff, it was all about Simon. Simon was about Simon. Simon was about Simon's reputation and Simon's pocketbook and Simon's wealth and Simon's Instagram follower count and all of his socials, right? So this was so different to Simon and this is what drew him in, into the, hearing the teaching. Philip was about Jesus. And so let me give you some fill-ins now. And this is what we can learn from ministry that's happening in Samaria. Do you guys like these fill-ins? Do you like these fill-ins? Are you sure? Okay, I'm just checking. Because it's a lot of work to give you fill-ins. Okay, so <laughs> I say that about every week, don't I? Okay, I'll stop. I'll stop. So what I want to uh, just look at this text. We can learn about what miracles accomplish. Like what the question, why does God give miracle power? And there's a lot of reasons biblically. And here we see a several. I'll give them to you. So first of all, miracles just flat out, they just alleviate human suffering and they set people free. This is so critical. God is a compassionate God and he sees our pain and he sees our suffering and he sees our circumstances. And from time to time, the Lord will give sort of this miracle power uh, moment to us to alleviate that pain and suffering. And certainly we see that in Samaria. Then miracles also lead us to repentance. It, it helps people become more open to the gospel. It opens doors for the preaching of the gospel. In this case, certainly S Philip would have never been paid attention to as a Jewish man in the Samaritan context. The Samaritans would have shunned him and instead they were running to him because the miracles that people were experiencing, the love of God in these tangible ways, which is like really opened the doors. Like, what is this guy saying? And so they started to pay attention. And then miracles authenticate the gospel message. Well, now that I'm paying attention to what Philip is saying, is what he's saying true? He's making very you know, bold claims about a man named Jesus Christ, this God-man and his resurrection. And the, the, the miracles were saying like to the people speaking authenticity and so they could believe in the gospel because of what was happening right before their eyes. And so the Lord is providing miracle power for a variety of purposes. And we see this in scripture. And I want to say this, is that the reasons that we see here in, in Samaria in Acts chapter eight and other places in the scripture, those are, the, those are reasons that are still true today as God pours out miracle power in the present time. We are a church, friends, that believes that God can do miracles now. We love to appreciate the miracles that the Lord does in scripture, but, but the Lord hasn't changed. He's the same yesterday, today, and forever, right? And so, so God loves to, he loves to pour out his, his compassion. He loves to pour out uh, his Holy Spirit in these ways that we can be set free. We can be healed. And, and the Lord does this from time to time. And so we're a church that will pray. We pray for, like if you're right now, if you're just like, man, I need a miracle. I need God to come through for me. Maybe it's a healing. Maybe you're, you're, there's a financial thing. Maybe there's something in your life, a relationship fracture, and you just need God to intervene. This is the right place because Redeemer's people will pray for that. The elders will pray for that. The staff will pray for that. We believe God can do something miraculous, instantaneous, and irreversible by his love and power and grace in his sovereign hand. Our job is to pray. 
All right, we don't know when God's gonna do that. He just, it's up to him. But it's God's job to answer the prayer in the way that God sees fit. And so we're not gonna make a big deal about it here. We're not, it's not gonna be like a lot of flash and you know, we're just gonna be chill about it, but also we're gonna be pretty serious about it too. So, so guys, this is, um, this is a church. This is a church, Redeemers is a church. This is an environment where we see the Lord just intervene and do some amazing things uh, by his grace and by his power. And, um, and then the other thing on this is we're going to always point back to Christ, just like Philip did. That's the model of ministry. We're not about us. It's not about, it's not about the staff, the pastors, the elders. It's about Jesus. And so as God moves in our lives and maybe in your life in a miraculous way, it's about the Lord. It's about him. And it's about us all uh, celebrating and then putting our faith into Jesus and then uh, learning more and more and more about the gospel message, which is the jet fuel that drives this whole engine. Yeah. Okay. You can say amen. That's good. That's a good place to say. Yeah. Okay. You got it. All right. Let's talk about Simon the magician for just a, a few more minutes. Look at verse 13 again. It says, even Simon himself believed, and then he was water baptized. So it seems like at the beginning here that Simon kind of gets it, right? But then as we're reading and we get more details, it seems like maybe he doesn't get it. It's not like, I don't know if the coin dropped for him, right? He doesn't seem to understand the nature of the gospel. So he's, first of all, he's infatuated with miracles. So he's amazed and he's kind of believing maybe more in the miracles than he is the message. And then he just flat out tries to use cash, his money to purchase access to the power of the Holy Spirit, which isn't good. Ultimately, this is Simon saying, I'm in control. This is, this is God's power is really, it's in within my grasp to do with what I want. It's a control thing with him. And then he seems to want to be in the spotlight. He's always hanging around the apostles and the leaders. And then when given the opportunity to repent, you know, Peter was really just kind of pretty straightforward with him, uh, with calling out his stuff. And notice he doesn't repent. He doesn't. He says, well, yeah, okay, Peter, you pray to the Lord for me. You pray to the Lord. Well, that's not how Christianity works. We don't need... Uh, a human being to pray to God for us. We have access to the Father through Jesus directly. And, and so maybe he didn't get that. Like maybe the gospel didn't actually land for him. And so as we read this, it's, a, it's, a strug- it's kind of a struggle on how to categorize Simon Magus. Like what do we do with him? And so ultimately, let's take a stab at it. We may describe it this way. I believe that Simon was struggling with a gospel plus my agenda approach to Jesus. A gospel plus my agenda approach to Jesus. So again, he was attracted to Jesus, but certain aspects of Jesus was really what he seemed to be zeroing in on. And his desire then was to take the gospel and then just kind of add it on to what he already had going on. He was kind of, work it in to his life and just feather in Jesus to his previously held beliefs. Simon says, <laughs> Simon says, Simon says, you're going to get a lot of these uh, if you're new. Uh, Simon says, I'll take the gospel and I'll add this Jesus to my magic. My magic, his power plus my power. Boy, 
that's something. What I could do with this kind of power, given my situation already. And that's, I think, what's going on. He didn't, he didn't seem to give Jesus full control. Another way to say it is he made Jesus his consultant and not his king. You know, you hire a consultant and if you're in business or if you've ever hired a consultant, you know, they'll tell you what they think and then you're like, nah, take it or leave it. You don't have to listen to the consultant. And that's essentially his relationship with Jesus. He's a man who wants the Lord in his life but is unwilling to give Christ complete control of his life. And so when we read Simon... And this is your next felon. This is, to me, this is a huge warning for us as believers. This is a, this, Simon is a cautionary tale, a true tale for every Christian, every Christ follower, anyone considering following Jesus. He's a warning to us because this kind of mindset is very prevalent. It's easy to have a gospel plus my agenda approach to Christ. It's so easy. The Jesus plus my agenda plan. The Jesus plus my plan and his plan. It is thy kingdom come, Lord. Our will be done. That type of relationship. And that's not really how it works, is it? There's one king and one throne. And I'm not on that throne, and neither are you. And it's he's the king. And so it's his way. It's his will. It's his word and his plan. So unfortunately, though, many people have a Jesus plus my agenda mindset. And there's a lot of agendas that you could fill this in with. I'll just give you two examples. First of all, it's a Jesus plus my sexuality agenda. It's not necessarily what scripture says. Scripture lays out our sexual ethics very clearly. And yet so many people today approach Christ and they're like, oh yeah, I like Jesus. I like what, you know, he gives me forgiveness. He gives me peace, but I don't like what Jesus says about sexuality. And so there's like this give or take. Well, I'm not, I'm not, I, don't, I don't believe that part of it. And so what people do is they just say, I'm gonna just impose my personal opinions and viewpoints on sexuality and then feather that in. Feather that in, incorporate that in, fold that in. Another example, it would be Jesus plus other religions and faith, other faiths uh, towards, uh, towards whatever belief system. So it's, we call this syncretism. Syncretism is like a $5 word that just says, well, you just kind of, you, you borrow and you piece together like a buffet down the religious you know, food, uh, like this area. And you just kind of take a little bit of, take a little bit of Christianity, you take a little bit of Buddhism, you take a little bit of Taoism, you take a little bit of secular humanism, you take a little bit of whatever you saw on television last night and a little bit of philosophy and you just kind of add it on and you got your own plate, right? It's, it's like your own thing. And that's syncretism. And so, so, so many people that's their version of Christianity. Um, sometimes people, a version of that is people will use Christianity like it's a good luck charm. Uh, or um, like when I was, when I was the, I, I, I was the chaplain of a football team, uh, college football team for three seasons. And what was interesting was a big team, 120 players. And some players, they would, um, they would wear a cross, not because they were Christians, because they thought it brought them good luck on the field. They'll play better because there's this like little kind of religious talisman on their neck. 
And, uh, and that's not how it works. In fact, another one of these stories, um, Christy and I, when we lived in Los Angeles, we didn't, we didn't have any money uh, and we lived in a very sketch part of town. And so we shared our apartment building. We shared a wall with the neighborhood drug dealer. The neighborhood drug dealer, I don't think he was very successful because he was in that neighborhood or maybe he was just being around the people that he was selling toward. So I don't know how this happened, but what, he, was in our, he was in our house. He, we were talking to him. And he's in, our, he's in our apartment, and he's like, hey, Billy, what are you doing? I said, well, uh, I'm a pastor. I, I reach college kids, Mike, Christy and I, for Christ. We're Christians. And he goes, oh, wow, that's so cool. Check this out. And he, he goes in his back pocket, and he whips out a little Bible that he had carried in his back pocket. He's like, check this out, Billy. And it's, it's like one of those little Gideon Bibles. It's the green Gideon Bible. And he goes, I carry this with me every single day so that God will protect me while I do my work. <laughs> and I'm like, uh, oh, really? And then he's like, he's, he's going for it. He's like, check this out. And he opens it up and he's like, see these red letters? These red letters, because the, the words of Jesus are in red and I guess in the Gideon Bible. And he goes, it's specifically, it's the red letters, Billy. It's the red letters. And, I, and he puts it back in his pocket. And I'm like, man, I am super glad that the red letters help you sell meth better, bro. That's great. I didn't actually say that. I did think it. And that's, that's, like a, that's like a version of all this. The, the gospel plus my agenda. God plus what I think. And people will say that. And they'll say, I like Jesus, but he's on my shelf with the other gods and goddesses. Or they'll say, I like Jesus, but I reserve the right to filter things out that I do not like, that I do not agree with, that I find uncomfortable, or that are difficult, like the section where Jesus says, deny thyself, deny yourself, deny yourself. Well, that's not, no, 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 no. Feed yourself. If you deny yourself, that's not self-care. That's not loving yourself, all right? And so people just filter this out and they're effectively saying this. They're saying, God, basically, I'm smarter and better and kinder than you are and so just leave it up to me. And this is a warning. This is a warning. Jesus said it. He said it really poignantly in another part of the Bible in Matthew, Matthew 6, 24. He said, if anybody would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. For whoever would save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. And this is a beautiful verse, and we love this verse, but this is a challenging verse, and it's a difficult verse. Why? Because that little phrase, take up his cross, do you know what that means? That means we put to death anything in ourselves that is our goals and our agendas and our opinions and our plans and our ways that is contrary or conflicting with God. And that, that's not joking around. That's not feathering it in. That's killing it. Kill it. Bury it behind the shed. Well, kill it and then cremate it and then bury the ashes. No, take the ashes, put them in a rocket ship and launch it into the sun. And then when it gets close to the sun, it will incinerate. Okay, I'm just too much. All right. So what what am I saying? There is no gospel plus not in the Bible. It's just the gospel. There's no gospel plus my agenda. There's no Jesus and another thing. It's just Jesus. There's no add-ons to the cross. There's no plug-ins to the resurrection. 
It's just the finished work of Christ. It's just the pure gospel as God gives it to us. And this and only, and this, and only this is what saves us. If we start adding stuff on or adding stuff in or taking stuff away, well, that's not what the scripture tells us to do. This is what we give our lives to. You know, it's Jesus the king, not Jesus the consultant. It's Jesus Lord that we bow our knees to. And so this is, this is such a challenge. It's a warning to us because any of us is susceptible to this. And yet, and yet the scripture is beckoning us constantly and reminding us to just take the gospel in its pure form, its simple form. And that's what we trust in and that's what we believe. What do you think about that? Isn't that comforting? That's comforting. Well, let's do one other thing about Simon. He raises a practical and a theological issue. And the issue is false conversions. The issue is, is false conversion. So we're, we're kind of we're asking, like, was Simon a false conversion? And so we kind of wrestle with this. And when we look at it, and we just take the text here as it's given to us, we can't be completely sure because Luke doesn't really tell us much about what happens to Simon after you know, we, we leave him here in this verse here. And we're not given the time to kind of let this play out. And so... Biblically, we're not sure, but we still ask because of the details that we're given. Um, I will say that when you start looking at extra biblical historical documents from the early church, from the early church fathers, uh, there, there's quite a bit of material on Simon Magus. In fact, the early church fathers uh, tell us that Simon was in fact a false believer who went on to establish a full-on cult in Samaria that was attempting to draw people away from Jesus and the church. Tells us that Simon was kind of following Peter around, making Peter's life miserable uh, for many, many years. And overall, he became an enemy of Jesus and he was like a villain, a villain to the church in the first century. Now, this, is, uh, this brings up that this isn't biblical material. This is extra biblical. So this is, this is church fathers' writings, uh, Tertullian and, and others, who are giving us this. And so we, we, can't, we, we have to treat it categorically differently. It doesn't have the authority. It doesn't have the authority. So we would still say, maybe Simon's a question, but the historical record does attempt to fill this in. And so we think perhaps based on the testimony of the church fathers that Simon was in fact a false conversion. He wasn't real. He wasn't a real, he was a faker. He was a poser. And so that's a difficult topic, isn't it? To think and consider that that's a thing. And, and so the Bible does talk about this though. Not just here, there's other places that the scriptures teach us that there are people that exist who say that they're a Christian, but who actually aren't following Christ. Did you know this? Of course you knew this. But it's biblical. Most notably, it, it comes in uh, Matthew chapter 13. Jesus is teaching a parable called the wheat and the tares. And briefly, what this is, is just Jesus giving this analogy of the church being like a beautiful wheat field that one day will be harvested at the end of days. But then Jesus says, one night the enemy comes in, this, this field has already been planted, and goes around the field and sticks in weeds in the field. And then as the, as the crop grows, the workers are like, wait a second, there's all these weeds in here. And they go to the owner of the field, did you have bad seed? Did you, did you, did you buy cheap bad seed? And he's like, no, the, an enemy of mine did this. And so then the workers go, well, 
let's, let's tear all these weeds out. And the landowner goes, no, 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 no. If you do that, you're going to do a lot of damage to the, to the wheat. So just let it chill until it gets sorted out in the end. And this is talking about this idea of false conversions of people, again, being in the community of God, but aren't actually following Jesus. And they may say that they are. I mean, they may even be water baptized. And the thing that we need to be aware of, both practically and theologically, is this is a thing. This is a thing in the church. And I realize by bringing this up, it may cause some of us to wrestle with the question of, well, am I, am I a real believer? Am I a believer that's authentic? And that's, I understand that question. I understand that question. That's, not, that's a good question to wrestle with as we do some self-assessment. And I wanna encourage you today that if you need a next step in that, in that line of thinking, then I would encourage you to attend. We have a class that we do once a month called Who is Jesus? And it's an hour-long class. It's actually happening literally right now. Uh, it's at the 11 o'clock service and it's in the, in the office behind me. But it's once a month and we talk about who Jesus is and we don't add anything else and we just look at who he is and what he did and we look at the gospel and it's all biblical and it's biblically driven. And so we're educating ourselves on what the pure gospel is constantly. We're reminding ourselves of who Jesus is and what he accomplished, his finished work and how there's no human effort that's added to that to make it better or to customize it. It's just what it is in the scripture and that's a good step to take uh, in this process of of asking and wrestling with this issue if it's personal. Now, if you're also thinking, well, I'm not sure if the person next to me is a Christian, really, because they were a jerk to me the other day, especially at Starbucks in the line. They were really rude. Well, I don't know. Maybe, maybe have a conversation or I don't know. No, I don't, I don't know what to do with that. Just figure that out yourself. Okay, so. <laughs> you, want to, you guys want to keep going just a little bit? All right, let's do that. Let's read a little bit more in verse 26. Let's keep going. Now, an angel of the Lord said to Philip, rise and go. There's that word go again. Rise and go toward the south to the road that goes down from Jerusalem to Gaza. This is a desert place. And he rose and went. So Philip, his adventures continue. An angel appears to him. This is awesome, like an angel shows up. Now, he's working this great revival. I mean, there's people getting saved all over the place, but he doesn't camp out there. The angel comes to him, and it's just like, man, angels show up, and, and there's lots of angels in the Bible. Angels are really real, like Christians really believe in them. Uh, the Bible does, and so we do, and, and I've always wanted, I've never, I don't knowingly, I've never knowingly talked to an angel. In fact, when I was a young Christian, I used to pray, like, Lord, show me an angel, like, have one appear to me, and I'd read passages like this. I don't know if you ever prayed with that, and then the Lord granted that, and he, and he, and he had me get married to my wife, and I get to see an angel every day. <laughs> That, by the way, was the dab. That's what the young people do. They did that 20 years ago, and now I'm just getting onto that. Okay, so that was not in my notes, but here we see the angel commands Phil to leave the area and go south. Hit the road, Phil. And so God has a new assignment for him, so let me give you some geography. 
Uh, this is kind of central Israel there. There's Samaria, which is where Philip was. And so he walks. The angel says, well, I want you to go to the road to Gaza. So he has to walk to Jerusalem, pick up the road there. And then that's about, I don't know, about 100 miles total, if the whole journey from Samaria to Jerusalem and then uh, down to Gaza, the road to Gaza there. So this is like a, it's kind of a major assignment. And, um, and, and so... So it's really interesting to me that like he's he's in the middle of this successful ministry and God says like reassign I got I got another place for you to go. And Philip doesn't argue he just is like okay I'll go I'll go I'll go and and it was a hard place. So Gaza remember how we talked about last week who was here last week? Who wasn't here last week? I'm just kidding you don't have to answer that. So Samaria was a tough place, as I said, for Jews to go. So was Gaza. Gaza was worse, right? Gaza was worse. Gaza was where the uncircumcised Philistines lived. And Jews kind of avoided Samaria, but they just straight up never went to Gaza. Um, Gaza is a name that we know today, isn't it? Uh, if you pay attention or you know, if you get the news about Israel, modern Israel, and there's a place called the Gaza Strip, have you, have you heard of this place? It's a, it's a very complicated place. And when we're, if you ever go to Israel on one of our trips, we're going next year, a bunch of us, we're, we're going to talk a little bit about how complicated it is there. So the Gaza Strip is like a Palestinian um, subset of Israel. It's governed. It has its own government. And, and there's a wall around it. So you can't just go back and forth, even though it's the same country. It's extremely complicated and it's very messy. And it was messy in the first century. And yet Philip just is like, all right, I'll go. I guess his whole ministry was like, I'm just going to go where nobody else wants to go. Like he got the short straw ministry for Christ. And, and he just did it. And I love that. I love that heart. I love that, that willingness. Okay, he hits the road. And then let's keep reading. Verse 27. And there was an Ethiopian, a eunuch, a court official of Candace, queen of the Ethiopians, who is in charge of all her treasure. He had come to Jerusalem to worship and was returning, seated in his chariot, and he was reading the prophet Isaiah. So here the the mission comes into more focus. Again, this was a deserted place, and it's like, well, who's there to reach? Well, it was someone who was also on the road, and it was a wealthy African man riding in the back of a large chariot, reading the Bible. And I say large because it says he was reading the Bible, which meant he wasn't driving, which meant he had a driver, which meant this was a big chariot and it was wealthy and he, he had a wealthy position. So think of it as like a Hummer chariot, all right? It's a Hummer, it's a big chariot. It's got like multiple rows and it's blinged out and it's got like, uh, I think it's got like a subwoofer that's just kind of slow beaten while he's reading. And then, you know, Philip looks at that. That's just me. I don't know. I don't know. You don't know either, though. So also, it says, it says that he was the, um, the court official of Candace. Now, Candace was not the queen's name. Candace was a title. It meant queen regent of a country, an, a kingdom called Cush. Cush was a, uh, an actual uh, empire that was located in southern Egypt and northern, like, like Ethiopia and Sudan. It was a large, a large kingdom. It was a real kingdom. And the Candaces, it had a series of female 
warrior queens. All right. It's very unique in the patriarchal society. And, and the Candaces are buried here. This is where they're all buried. Well, I don't know if they're all buried, but many of them are buried here. There's like these little mini pyramids and, and we can go there and like understand this society. And the Ethiopian eunuch worked for the Candace. And we actually know because we know, we know what year this was. This was around AD 33, AD 34, AD 35. We know the name of the queen regent and her name is Candace Amonatare. And that's her right there. So she's chiseled in to stone. I think she's a little bit one-dimensional as a leader. I'm not sure. Um, actually, so she's a warrior queen. And she's depicted in this as a, she's got armor on. This is a very, very interesting, very interesting society. And this guy worked for her. He was her secretary of treasury. Now, what's the significance? Why, why is this important? Why am I sharing all this? Well, I personally find it interesting, so therefore you need to hear about it. <laughs> Actually, my reason is, is I think it's good to occasionally remind all of ourselves that the Bible is true history. The scriptures recount real life events and real people and refers to real life locations and mountains and streams and villages and cities and walls and features and kingdoms that actually are verified in the historical record. And Luke is this amazing historian on top of a good collector of the history of the early church. He's a great historian of the world. And his biblical books, his books Luke and Acts, actually assist secular historians when something needs to be dated or placed. People will look at Luke and see what Luke says. What does the Dr. Luke say about this? And he has helped us precisely date artifacts and ancient ruins all over the place. And this is really important because what it means is this Bible, this Bible is, is, is true, not just in its, its religious truth claims, it's true and factual in its historical, its historical uh, telling of, of world events. And if the Bible is true about its history, then I tell you what, that means it's pretty reliable, isn't it? When it comes to the other things the Bible says happened about the Lord and the history of, of who God is and how he communicates and interacts with us. And that's so important because we build our life on this book. We, 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 we trust this book and what it says. And the reason we do that is because it's trustworthy. We've checked it out. It checks out, guys, it checks out all over the place. And here we have yet another one of those. And not all religions, by the way, when you comparative uh, study the religions and their, their sacred texts, that's not, that's not really the case in most situations. Many religions have sacred texts that have nothing to do with history, actual history, and some that do. Uh, many times the historical uh, facts in there, they're not necessarily facts. We can't verify them. And so the Bible's very unique and it's rock solid. And I think it's, it's good for us to visit that once, once in a while. Okay, so verse 29. And the spirit said to Philip, go, there's another go, go over and join this chariot. So Philip ran to him and heard him reading Isaiah the prophet and asked, do you understand what you're reading? And the eunuch says, how can I unless someone guides me? And he invited Philip to come up and sit with him. This is such a cool thing. Something happens here that I just want to take note of. 
And that's the Holy Spirit spoke to Philip. Hey, look at verse 29. And the Spirit said to Philip, go. The Spirit was speaking to Philip specifically on the topic of moving him deeper into mission. And this actually happens a lot in the book of Acts. The Holy Spirit speaks to people repeatedly in the book of Acts. The thing is, though, we're not sure how the Spirit spoke to him. Like, did the Lord use an audible voice? Or did the Lord just put an impression in Philip's like, mind and heart? Uh, we're, we're not given those details. We're just said that the Spirit led him to go over and talk to the guy in the Hummer. Hey, go talk to the guy in the expensive Hummer. And that, that's very notable. It's very notable. The Spirit is very active in the book of Acts. We've seen the Holy Spirit come up time and time again. And if you've been sort of following along in the series these numbers of months now, we've, we've taken some time in our sermons to do some study, some deep dive study of the Holy Spirit. And every time we do that, when we study the Holy Spirit, the theologians call that pneumatology. Pneumatology. Turn to your neighbor and say pneumatology. The Greek word for spirit is pneuma, which means breath or wind. That's the spirit and the study of that, so pneumatology. And what I want to do is take some time to do another one of those pneumatology interludes with you. And I want to ask the question, how does God speak to us? How does the Bible depict the ways that God communicates with us? There's many ways. How does that happen? So that's what we're going to do next week. You were supposed to laugh at that a little bit. I don't know. We're going to do that next week. We're going to talk about that. Thank you. That was, I don't know. Thanks, Mom, for laughing at my dumb joke. Uh, We're going to look at that. We're going to talk a little bit more about this. The Lord wants us to know about him. The Lord is very communicative. And so let's look and see what the scriptures say. So come back next week and we'll dive into that. And then we'll finish, we'll finish Philip the evangelist. And that's, um, I'm hoping we'll get there. So no, we will. We'll finish Philip the evangelist. That's what we'll do next week. So for now, let's just pray, shall we? Bow your heads with me quickly. Let's just say a, a word of prayer. So Lord, we thank you so much for uh, the, the lesson today, for the scriptures that you're so faithful to give us. You're talking to us through the scriptures. Lord, I thank you that, that there's some challenging stuff in this week's text, and yet you've given us enough that we, we have a pretty good idea of how to sort ourselves through it all. And I'm praying, Lord, that you would give us all wisdom. I'm praying, Lord, that none of us would sort of fall into that easy rut of, of adding something to the gospel. The gospel plus my agenda. Lord, help us to resist that and just stick with just what Jesus did for us. And just keep it at that. The finished work of Christ. I'm just praying for that, Lord. Help us to continually remind and encourage one another on the the issue of just, it's just Jesus. Let's all point to him. And so, Lord, we love you and we thank you. And we pray you'd be with us as we continue on in our study, Lord. Open our minds and hearts. Lord, help us to be Bible scholars, each one of us. And Lord, let that translate into bringing you glory with our lives. And we pray this in your name. Amen. Amen.